Don't Cast and Drive, a series of interviews of artistically driven personalities from different locations near and far. I am your speaker person, Veronica Tyler Christie, aka Sometimes V. For today's episode, all the way from Washington, D.C., we got the prowess, the testament. How's it going? How are you? I am good. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Um, just to kind of give everybody who's listening a little bit of insight, we were just talking about the Capitol being overran by a bunch of uh, MAGA heads. So I am glad that she is safe, <laughs> first and foremost. Uh, but what a crazy historical event that we endured again, <laughs> yeah. since that's the running joke about a bunch of like millennials and slightly pre-millennials going through all these adventures with all these different yeah. historical events happening. So yeah. um, again, I want to say I'm glad that you are safe. I'm also glad that you were not mm -hmm. out there. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, we talked a little bit about this off camera, but the fact that they're too to learn later on that there was someone who was in my innermost circle and that was in our local, you know, sort of Washington DC creative musician mm -hmm. ecosystem that was live broadcasting, live streaming the storming of the Capitol. And so much that broadcast went viral. It had about 500,000 views before YouTube took it down because CNN was using his footage um, uh. in their feed. So it, the, just the idea of like, not only was he there, Mm -hmm. But he also the, the kind of splash and the viral sensation around just, yeah, I think that has been, it kind of messed everybody's heads up that this really, you know, this person that otherwise, I mean, you know, you, you can't really say anything bad about other than the fact that like no one saw that coming. Um, and yeah. you almost feel sad, you know, the fact that this is a friend or a person that you once, you know, had a friendship with, and then you kind of pity what happened in your life after maybe we had been in communication that made you know you choose to do this you know what yeah isn't that crazy how just the actions that people pick and it sounds very obvious right like the actions that you chose to do will really impact the the community that you are associated with right right Absolutely. so like it's just being like being careful about what you say um, and being accountable for what you say, also being accountable about what the things that you do, but also understanding mm -hmm. the gravity of what you're doing in the present. And so it's, exactly. I understand, I, I mean, I didn't have friends over there per se, but I have had to block a lot of people that I've known for yeah. a very long time because our, our ideals weren't lining up and they weren't righteously lining up. And so instead of like feeding the fire, hoping it will go out, I just said, okay, I'm just going to put a blanket over this and call it a day. <laughs> I mean, what, and you think about like the world that we've gotten into, which I think everybody feels weird about saying, I don't feel comfortable sort of blocking people that don't share the same ideologies mm -hmm. as me. Like, isn't that part of you know, what friendship is about, what, you know, learning about someone else's sort of beliefs and whether or not you agree with them. But when those beliefs, like you said, are not righteous, when they are incongruent to humanity and what is, what is, you know, sort of sensible and right in the universe, you have to kind of say, that's not, I'm not okay with you sort of feeding fires of hatred or like some of the hate speech and some of the things, like, like I said, just the ideologies are twisted. They're not righteous at all. It's, you know, some of the stuff I saw on this guy's social pages were just grotesque, you know, just, um, and it made me feel like you want to, you know, the language against like transgender women that he was going to kill, like, you know, the, the statement. And I'm just, yeah. that I think kind of made me scared because I thought 
this person is capable of that. And like yeah. they're walking around mm-hmm. and they're, and it made me angry and it made me, I had never felt that before. Like I wanted to cry. And at the same time, I wanted to like beat this person's head in. It made me feel about it. Yeah. It made me like, you kill? Like, hold on a second. You want to, you want to like take someone off of the planet because they don't, because they are using a pronoun you don't believe in. Like, I just, I've never heard anything like that before. Whether you agree or disagree with someone's, you know, politics, it's like, but wait a second, when you get to that point, like you said, you're now, it's so, so um, hate-filled that I can't even understand how you can justify this. Man, we're always in a fine line between of like, should I cry about this or beat this person's ass? I hear you (laughs) so much on that. Like, I'm over here like, shall I put my physical energy? No. Shall I bottle it up a little bit and see how Mm -hmm. it digests? Maybe. Let me try to figure this out. But no, I totally hear that. I, I'm, I'm super anti like friction. Like I've had enough Facebook fights on my own profile where it's like, <laughs> mm, let's see where this escalates and see how people go through this. And then there was one person mm-hmm. in particular that I was like, no, you're being inflammatory and you're flashing your guns. We're done. Like, right. We're done. When, that point, like you are now capable. You are, you are almost putting a physical threat out there to do harm mm-hmm. that you have intended to do. So it's, it's, you've done more than just sort of express that I don't like this. You know what I mean? Like you're entitled to like or dislike what you like, but when you are, when you are then putting physical threats on someone's life, it's like, I can't, I have, that's when you have to say, I have to unfriend block. Like I have to notify authorities about you. This is, you're no longer a mm-hmm. state. Um, and I fear, you know, what you are capable of. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly the point. Like it's, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, I don't care what you're doing. Don't threaten lives. Don't, don't be on the side of those who are threatening others, people's lives or putting them in danger or don't advocate that fact. Like just, um, as speaking of beaten ass, but like, seriously, like, it's just like one of those things, like, is, is this trans, like, you know, like, I don't understand people why they're anti-trans or anti-non-gender, like, it, they're not hurting anybody, they're just straight up saying, like, I don't want ident- to identify with the binary, like, I want to just right. be my own person, be individualistic, they're not running around saying, like, oh, because I'm bi-nom, that I'm non-binary, that I'm also now racist, and that I support lynchings, like, they're not saying that, it's and more that's so- the part that makes no sense to me, mm-hmm. it's almost like, why does it bother you? You know, some of the statements that this person is making, it's like, I'm sorry, why does it bother you? Someone else's pronouns again? Like it's not, no one is, put, this does not put your civil liberties at risk, which is what they're trying to equate this with. Like yeah. somehow you are in, encroaching on my ability to be, you know, this white heterosexual male running around. Like you do you, but <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. What, like no one's telling you, you can't do you. So do that and worry about yourself and and, yeah. and focus on that. If you why are you minding what other people's ideology like it's just so weird. It's like a sense of control and entitlement that is so twisted and yeah, really sick. It's just like sadistic. Yeah. Then and also keep in mind, like there has to be that someone to kind of nip it saying, like, you gotta knock it off. There has to be that that model in their life, whether if they take that advice or not, like hopefully. It happens few fewer times than normal, but I think just as long as there's, there's someone saying like, hey, dude, that's wrong. And it's straight up and very concise. And especially in somebody's adulthood, hopefully mm-hmm. that digests into something that will manifest into the greater, but you never exactly. know. Like people are like a huge, like wild card sometimes. Like, and sometimes- people enable that behavior without even recognizing 
you know, that, that they do, you know, it's, it's, I mean, we've allowed our whole entire sort of demagogue to get and to develop <laughs> into like this dictator that it's, um, it's weird to me. I keep saying to myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know people are like annoyed with me, but I'm like, but did they not see this the last year? Like, weren't we just in the middle of impeachment proceedings last year? Like people voted against this. And now you've created this monster that refuses to accept defeat, refuses to accept that, you know, he's lost. The monster was already there. Like he didn't just become, you know, it's sort of there. He's become dangerous and his rhetoric has become, you know, more unfit or unstable. Like but he's he not- been doing this. He's been doing yeah. this since he's been campaigning. He's talking about, I can exactly. shoot a guy on the street and no one would do anything about it. Like, you know, exactly. I will ki- like, he's been threatening Mexicans this whole time. He doesn't give a shit about black lives matter. Like he's been right. saying these, like, and it's documented on video documented through tweets. Like this guy is sadistic and doesn't understand how his words incite violence within communities who are aligned with him, which is the product of what happened at the Capitol. Right. And that's why I'm trying to figure out like, where did they not see this problem happen? I mean, obviously some, there were some people that did. And I feel like the media outlets were, some of them were spinning things that he was saying. It's like, he says, you know, the sons of bitches that are kneeling, they would spin it a little bit and say, Mm -hmm. You know, but then I feel like CNN, <laughs> other net, like the Washington Post here, they did not cut him any slack. They were, you know, he would say something and they would actually deconstruct whether it was patterns that were similar to other, you know, sort of dictators or racist uh, sort of regime. They, w- they would break down the language to showcase this language is consistent with something Hitler said. Yeah. Or they, you know, they would point it out and call it like, call it what it is. But then other networks were trying to spin it like, well, they're, you know, they're hoping to say that language by saying that, oh, they're patriots or, you know, they're rioters, they're demonstrators, you know, instead of there being like, well, wait a second, but just a couple of months ago, there were savage thugs that were in the street that didn't believe in law and order. Um <laughs> That's why the new group is called terrorists. Like, it's just, let's put a big rainbow on it saying like, this is what this new group that was at the Capitol of, this is what they are. And this is what they earned as their title. Like, right. Point blank. But anybody else who is like peaceful protesting, Black Lives Matter, all that stuff and rioters, looters, bullshit. Like it's, they got the wrong narrative and they don't understand like what is even going on. And they keep forgetting the historical context behind all of this. Of course. Absolutely. Jeez, Louise. Ugh. And no, what a way to start like the show. Like, <laughs> it's fine. It's just, it's been on all of our minds and you're the closest to it, like in comparison to both of us. So I'm a- it's surreal because you walk past. I mean, I, DC has always been a very progressive, I mean, a, or a, a less progressive town than others. It's always been very conservative. Mm-hmm. despite the fact that, I mean, people, I think, tend to think because it's Rose called Chocolate City that it's not a conservative town. It always has been because there is the sort of political machine and the federal government, mm-hmm. the home of the federal government. So there's a lot of people that make their living off the federal government or work for the federal government here. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's a lot of, of, I think, sort of indoctrinated thinking of like, I follow sort of these very conservative ideals here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there are certain things, though, that have always been really nuanced about D.C. that we've had. We've had communities where you can be you and exist and be in the space in this, you know, sort of the over the, the tri 
tri-state area where you can be whether what whatever that is, you know, you can be your own person and be respected for your personhood here mm-hmm. in a different way. I feel like than than most places, even though it is conservative, in mo- most conservative places, you don't have that same look at Omaha, Nebraska and like something right. or the Ozarks, not the same kind of a situation. And yet here you kind of have that. Um, and so this is almost just really, I think, unnerving. I feel like the way people did when people were marching in Charlottesville and Charlottesville was like, that's not, our, you know, we're not that. That's not our town. We're the idyllic, you know, college mm-hmm. town that believes in like, you know, people live in human and, and, you know, harmony with each other. And you do your farming and go home and everybody relaxes and we have our state fair. And like, we don't do, we don't do demonstrations. We aren't clashing. Right. That's not who we are. These are outsiders coming into. And I think that's what I feel like was the most odd thing is that DC was full of these people that are just like, that's not what DC, you know, none of these people live here. Mm-hmm. None of these alt-right people. But then I think what we realize is that underneath us is where it came out, that underneath us, there's a lot of MAGA supporters here that just kind yeah. of were intense. They yep. were closeted. They were living among us. They were our neighbors. They were our friends. They were our coworkers. You just didn't know. And it's sort of, they were police that were taking selfies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. helping to enable um, the situation. Like opening so it's up the gates, like telling people gates, to, yeah. egging them to actually go in. Like yeah. it's one it's guy, I think they said a Capitol, Capitol police officer had a MAGA hat on. Like that's absolutely against, you know, you're supposed to be a bipartisan, um, you know, <laughs> law enforcement. It's like, how can you possibly, you know, so the whole idea of it is just, I think, if anything, I was a little shocked by seeing not my, that's not the city I live in, you know, Mm -hmm. but then I had to look and I go, oh, that is the city I live in. Like there's, you know, it is, I didn't want to notice it. I didn't want to see it just like so many other people, or I have seen it and just kind of skipped over it. Yeah. I think the the closeted facting and kind of having like the fear of being somebody who supports or has Mm -hmm. an underlying like rage like that. It's always been shamed and kind of shut down within a lot of, like, I feel like sometimes like those who are identify as alt-right or Republican um, have a lot of friends who are also democratic and gone to school and have gone to higher education. So they kind of feel a little outnumbered because they're often, they often are like probably the singular person or the one person with maybe another person who has that same ideal, unless, you know, the exception is if they're with their family or if Mm -hmm. like, you know, they go out of their way to go to an event, just kind of like anime conventions, right? Not a lot of us are coexisting in the same community. Sometimes I mention anime at work and they're like, um, and I'm like, that's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but my oh, point being, have a whole talk. That's a whole different talk we have to get into. But, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, like that's when they feel the most empowered is like through this man who told them to go to this place, and now they they're releasing all that pent up energy, all that anger. Um, right. of feeling not represented and so I think that's also where that came from because it happened in San Jose too like San Jose California blue state you know everything is supposed to be progressive there's all these fucking tech companies yeah, <laughs> when I heard that because I'm like that's where I go I mean honestly with my idea in my head of like where where you know that place you go where everybody's respected it doesn't matter your politics right to me like a San Jose it's, is like a place <laughs> like that you're like look that's your that's your your space and you are 100% able to live in your skin whatever yeah. that is 
it's, you know, you can be multicultural, multi, you know, there's religious beliefs, whatever those are, you are accepted in this space because there's someone that can, can identify. Um, and oh, then I'm I so was glad like, you give us that credit. <laughs> I'm so glad you give us that credit. No, but there is, it's, <laughs> it's basically all the towns by the water that are like that. Any towns that are like maybe 100 yeah. miles by the water, like everything is all Gucci. Like most of the time it's fine. If anybody's doing a hate crime, we just label them as crazy and we just go on about our business. But right, if you right. go more into central California where there's Fresno, Bakersfield, um, all the, like yeah. the, the desert, like that's where you're going to find all those people who have been kind of hiding out and, and thinking yeah. that everything's dumb or whatever, even in the most, also in the hyper rich areas too, like places like Carmel Valley. I know that's also next to the water, but you'll, you'll find some too. And so okay. in San Jose, when I saw the rally, or actually I wasn't physically there. I was, I, there was a nonprofit in San Jose that took video of it, that there was a rally in East San Jose, which was where kind of our, our first generation families are living. So like Vietnamese Americans, okay. Mexican Americans, yeah. Filipino Americans, yeah. like there was a rally there. And I was like shocked that there was a rally there. But honestly, I think they just tried to find a place to congregate because it was, it was, there was definitely POCs there um, who were in favor of Trump, but there was also like a lot of white people there as well. So it's like that whole group, they all just found a way to bond together and just like be like we're in this together steal, stop the steal blah 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 and it's like whoa yeah. I didn't even realize this was going to even happen in the part of town I thought it was going to happen like Willow Glen <laughs> that that would make more sense right yes exactly that's how it feels it feels very I feel betrayed a little bit like by people in the city because there was a like I said there as many people as there were from out of town most of those people, which I thought, like I said, these aren't, this isn't my city. This is like these people coming here. They're from outside, they're outsiders. And then when they started to like identify, now they started to identify some of these folks. Like I said, there's a lot of neighbors and friends and other people who are on my socials who've been identifying their neighbors and friends and coworkers. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, it's a lot deeper than we thought, you know, the, this, it is our town. It is our city. It's almost like, like you said, when you're able to label, I think it's an interesting thing because it's not a place. I have a friend who, um, you know, works on the Hill and works for a very conservative Republican um, congressman. And she has a RNC umbrella. And, you know, just walking to work, like she, you know, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous zone. So she like has a decoy umbrella, you know, until she gets to work. And then like, once she's downtown and like in a space, in a safe space that she kind of, you know, a couple of blocks, she can walk around with her, um, with her RNC umbrella, but then she has to like go back to her, her neighborhood and she's not able to wear her, you know, to put her umbrella up. Something is, is kind of silly as that because people are going to call you out on it and be like, hey, you trash. You know, it's, just, it's a, very, you know, it's a yeah. very, it's still conservative, but at the same time, it's that idea of like, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, people who are, who are progressive thinking and who there's a lot of transients that are here. Yeah. So because of that, politics does not tend to be, you know, it's, it's, it's fleeting. It's yeah. who's in office at the time. There's an elite, you know, there's, and it's a place that voted 97% of the population of DC voted for Democrat. So it's just, it's, you know, you are an outsider when you are showcasing anything but that. So you have to be closeted to just exist yeah. in your, in, in that space. Even when you don't share those ideals, when it's like, well, listen, you know, she's like, I draw the line when he's, you know, 
putting kids in cages. That's not, that's, I don't believe it. So I, yeah. I can be a Republican and not actually back this candidate. I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, those are the kinds of people you hope are going to stand up this time and be like, not me. You know, that's not me. Yeah. Um, where were they? I don't know. <laughs> where <laughs> are they? I'm like, All right. they're, yeah. So yes, this no. whole interview is actually supposed to be about you. As much as we want to decompress yeah. about this whole situation, I want to celebrate you. I want it to be about you. Um, no, this is a wonderful take on all this just because of the fact like it needs to be heard. Like this is stuff that needs to be out there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. but first of all, tell me about yourself. I'm just going to let you go ahead and start and do the thing. But tell me, yeah. tell me about yourself. So I'm proud of the Testament. I mean, I am a... I'm an, I guess, an, a rapper. I mean, right, I, I have to label myself as that. Um, I am an artist. I mean, there's different things. I feel like being an artist means that whatever medium that I choose to use in many ways. So rap oftentimes is the medium I choose, but there I sing, you know, I try to do production and other things as well. Um, from DC, I'm a fourth generation Washingtonian. So my great grandparents lived here, um, which I think always, you know, there's a lens when you create your arts that is oftentimes I feel like seated with different things and, and oftentimes where you're from and the place that you were born in is often present in your music, whether or not you you realize it or not. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there there's definitely aspects of my community and my city and the way that I deliver my rap and the way that I make my music and the sounds even that I'm drawn to, you know, are inspired by, by, um, you know, my upbringing here. Mm-hmm. I've been making music for about, boy, since officially since I was about 16 years old. Okay. So I'm 35. <clears throat> I'm going to put that. <laughs> You're fine. Our secret's <laughs> safe with us. <laughs> and those who are listening. <laughs> But for long enough, right, that I've kind of, you know, for close to, for, for 15 plus years at this point, that I've been able to, you know, make music and rec- record music. Um, and I, I walked away for a while from music. I about, tw- uh, for about seven years, decided to take a hiatus. I just kind of was bored with it at a moment. I just, you know, had, I didn't feel like I was getting what I wanted out of the music. I just kind of fell out of love with it. So I walked away from it, kind of started doing other things. I went and toured the world and I landed in Africa for a little while in, um, in West Africa, or East Africa rather, mm-hmm. and stayed there for a little while in Kenya and Tanzania and a bunch of local lo- um, na- neighboring countries. And while there, I jokingly said that like I was listening, hip hop was playing like every day out of the compound that I was in. I was in Kenya in the mountains of this really remote sort of village called Eldoret, which is like at the the, um, elevation of Denver Mm -hmm. on the equator. So it's just, it's a really unique place anyway on the earth. And I always felt like if there's any place where there's like, I just felt like I was in the cradle of civilization of some sort, like it had to be in this space because there's, I've never seen anything or felt anything like this place. and so anyway, just the, the music blasting out every day, I would jokingly say, oh my gosh, like I tried to run from, like you would think that there's some other music playing. Like, I don't know what music, but I was expecting something more, you know, just world music, different, I don't know. And yet it's like standard hip hop acts playing. 
Um, <laughs> so they were keeping it current, even though yeah. you're wanting some diversity here. Or whatever. It's like, what? You know, Jeru the damages on. It's like, this is so uh, Busta Rhymes. Like, I, you know, and I'm like, this is not even, you know, but that kind of, I think, said to me, like, no matter how much I try to escape this and how much I try to distance myself from it, I'm probably not ever going to run from it because it is who I am. The fact that I even kind of would get excited or even hear it, like, it was like some people didn't hear it. You know, I talked to a friend who was, who was with me, um, my, my boss, I was there for work and I would be like, did you hear the music blasting at like 5 a.m. this morning? And my boss would be like, no, I was sleeping. And I'm what 5 a.m. Girl, I don't know what to, you know, so it, but to me, I heard it because I'm like, hold on. I know, put your hands where my eyes can see. I, I can hear the music. I'm like, oh, oh, well, who, who is, you know, so in the, in the, um, the, I lived on a compound, like a university compound. Um, and when I was there, so all of the, you know, young students and stuff wanted to take me to the nightclubs and to take me to like where they go, like to listen to the hottest DJs and that kind of thing. And wanted me to go like freestyle with them. And I thought like, why, like you just picked me out of the bunch. And it was like, well, what can they see in me that like, I didn't even, I'm obviously shrouding all of that part of myself, mm-hmm. but they could still see like, no, but you, I know. Cause you asked me about that bus of rhymes earlier. You heard that. So, you know, something you come on with that. And so that kind of thing made me feel like, I think come back to the music and, and really, I think have an appreciation for it that I didn't have before and making it with my friends. I realized I needed to probably distance myself a little bit to find, you know, find myself a little bit uh, before I, making. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's no, no, absolutely yeah. wonderful story to go from, uh, I was doing music, F music. Now I'm feel yeah. like re-enlightened in it. And it's a totally, th- it's a thing. Like I, I did go to college for music and I went for mm-hmm. trombone studies and music education, but that right now that's just not my path, but yeah, I'm right now. I'm, I feel like I'm kind of in like the weird, like I'm taking a break from my horn slash. I still play on it every so often, but not seriously, mm-hmm. just because of the fact of like so much discouragement has happened to lead up yes. to the point that I'm at right now. And now I'm just kind of in like a rehabilitation mode. Yes. And so I totally understand that. And so that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, it's so important. I tell this to everybody, this is like one of my like little virtues, but it's like, you got to spend time by yourself and try to find new inspirations to get you back into the grind that was giving you positive, uh, yes. positive motivation, you know? So I'm proud of you. That's awesome. Like, <laughs> Cause you fi- I mean, you find, you discover, I feel like maybe I didn't even, I was making music and I really hadn't had a you know, this, this aching reason to get up to do it as right. I really hadn't had any, any confrontation around that hadn't really had a, a reason to that motivated me to say, despite how difficult, despite, you know, that really aching passion that just nags at you and says, this is what you must do. You know, you, this is you, this is who you are. And I think had I not had that moment of being away from it and being able to have an appreciation for like, yeah, you know, I have to have a narrative. I have to have a story in order to have that. I have to find myself and know who I am and be comfortable in my skin and, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it, 
definitely you're preaching to the choir if not more uh, like yeah. that's that's exactly <laughs> what it is so yeah I mean I know you kind of gave yourself a bunch of labels and you know just calling yourself a musician is not just one thing that you want to call yourself like you're right. you're you're like not only a rapper and an artist but like listening to stuff like you're also like a poet too like I yeah like one of the songs in particular heaven was beautiful like yeah absolutely absolutely loved the orchestration of it absolutely loved like how you were just like talking about being motivated reclaiming that motivation Mm -hmm. reaching high like it it was it was very 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 like felt nostalgic but also at the same time it it hits the heart right so like you know it doesn't not a lot of people can make tracks where it's like you find lyrics that could actually hit somebody's emotions sometimes it could just be a noise that makes you move around but nothing like meaningful you know what I mean yeah Exactly. Yeah. And that, and that song too, was, it it was one of those interesting things. I feel like when I sometimes get a beat, you know, I've heard people say a lot of the times I've heard different people have different responses to what their creative process is. But a lot, a lot of the times I try to sit with the beat. Sometimes I sit with it for too long to be frank. Like, like, what's going on? Are you using that beat? It's like, yes, but you don't understand. Like, I can't watch this process because I think you know, I feel like the song has to talk to me mm-hmm. and there has to be a communication here. And I don't want to just throw something together because I feel like it's unfair, you know, for me to just get in there, rush them to like put some bars on there. I like to like sit with it and enjoy it because there's something undoubtedly that I'll find in the music every time. And like with that one, I know I used to drive my producer, shout out to The Solution. I would drive him crazy because he would be like, are you recording this song? What is going on? What is happening? <laughs> And every, every time I'm like, I will this weekend, I will this weekend, but it needed to rest with me and it needed to sit with me for a while. And then I would be like, what's the sample that you used in here? You know, and then I, then, then he was like, I don't remember. So he, you know, had to go on a quest. He's like, she is annoying. You know, let me go find the sample and send it to her. But it also kind of, it, it, I think built us a, a good relationship because he's based out of um, Ottawa, Canada. And he had never worked with a, um, with the U.S.-based artists, I think, at that time. So, you know, his, his his French and my, I like to joke, like his French and my English together would, you know, just exacerbate each other. We'd be trying to connect, and it was just like, he was like, I don't know what I have to do with this girl. I got to figure something out. But then, you know, it was like the music would speak for itself, and he would say, get the song back, and he'd be like, I don't know how you do, but you supersede my expectations, because I didn't expect you to to do that on the song. And like, you know, I don't know where I thought it was going. So I, the the feel, but also I feel like the creator, you know, the person who made the beat, having the relationship with them and kind of being able to, to build and, and have, you know, all of that goes into the song. And so I feel like there's a lot of things in that song that kind of came out um, because it might have been some connection to something he said or something that, you know, there's a line I say about the Cabbage Patch dolls or whatever. You can't find me like Cabbage mm-hmm. Patch Kids 85. And, and I joke with that as my year of birth, you know, 85. <laughs> but also the fact that like you can't, because I remember my my aunt had, uh, she's about seven or eight years older than me. And she had this this doll. And it was like when she finally lost it, my grandmother was like, you'll never be able to find another one because I, you know, they're, they are impossible to find. Like, I, you know what I had to do to get that doll and you like lost it or whatever. Um, and she was like, by this time, like 12 or 13 with it. <laughs> so I thought about that moment. I was like, you can't, yeah, that was a hard to get gift. 
So all those things resonate in your writing. Yeah, no, I, definitely. I The creative process is definitely important. Um, sometimes like the impression is that they're taking too long on a song. Maybe they most people would think like, uh, maybe they're just not ready or whatever, but no, like yeah. you, sometimes you just, you gotta give yourself the time to really bond with your beat. Yeah. Or, so that way you can deliver something that's meaningful. And that's definitely something that uh, should be taken into account for like some new age artists. Like sometimes you don't have to like pump out a song yeah. every week. You, you can Absolutely. take your time. It's yeah, I, I've heard that before. And sometimes like there's been a couple of times I wrote a few songs and I'm like, mm, I'm going to can it because I wrote it too fast. I didn't give myself Absolutely. enough time. Yes. Uh, I so do I, that all the time, right? It's like that was exercise. But now I have to get like, it's if it was that fast, it's probably shallow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> so let me get out of being shallow and get into that. And I, I don't even think I've hit that zone yet. I haven't got to the real zone where I'm like, you know what, let me scratch this and go deeper. And I recently had someone challenge me to do that. And I thought to myself, like, this is the only person that could challenge me to do that. But he definitely said, you know what, you're, you, you have supreme ability to like fire at the clouds. Like you can put words together, boy. I mean, I sit back and I, in awe of these words to put together, but I, now I barely know really anything about you and I know you. So imagine your listening audience may not have that much. And, and there, there's so much depth. You're not going to tell me that, you know, you got to this age as a woman in DC and like all these things that, you know, and you, you, there's more to the story. And when you get ready to tell it, like, it's not, you're not ready yet. But when you do finally get ready to tell it, I look forward to hearing it, like being a part of it because, and, and that was, he was right. I, I said to him, I had to t- turn the, turn the nozzle on myself and go, Ooh, you hit me right where <laughs> you're so right. It's a very, it's shallow, right? I'm not going to take you that deep into who I am. Um, I'm going to give you the glimpse that I want you to see. And he's like, stop editing for people. So you don't have to, you know, <laughs> just put the uglies out there. Trust me. It, you'll feel much better when you finally get it out. Right, right. Well, now that we're talking about music, I, I wasn't sure like how early in the conversation we're going to get to this, but I actually do want to talk about A Tale of Two Masters, um, yep. since Heaven is also one of the tracks on there. Um, yep. But the other track I also wanted you to kind of get into was Say Amen. Um, girl, I lost my mind. You know what <laughs> gets me is hearing big band music and then yeah. the transition into the old like funeral sounding like excerpt orchestral excerpts and then it goes right into literally back into jazz again and I'm just like how did this producer how did this woman get this to be so seamless and she's just basically running tracks around this whole song like I like like it's amazing so I actually wanted you to talk about that with me a little bit because Mm -hmm. like I mean aside from the rest of the album which was still nostalgic and sound to me. It reminded me of a lot of like neo, like boom bap um, music. Uh, So I felt like I was back into the nineties again. Like I could be listening to like, you know, like old Tribe Called Quest or, you know, New Jack Swing or something like that. But like, but but anyway, please, please talk about that song because it was just fantastic. Yes, thank you so much for that. That's a huge compliment. And it's a song, so I would, this song actually is an interesting kind of a, a way it was put together. Cause one, I had this music that was created by um, it's sort of a, a, a couple of live musicians and they were playing on top of some already um, live music. So that's why it sort of crescendos and then decrescendos the way it does. Cause the dynamics and the music is like these musicians 
playing on top of a piece that they weren't really sure where it was going to go and them trying to like interpret it um, without knowing what was going to happen next. And it's just like, I think the improvisation of it, the, it reminded me of somehow being in church. And I, I grew up in the church um, and I always feel like the church is a space, right? Like where I feel like it's a one place where sometimes you've come for the music more than people come sometimes for the other pieces of it. It's sort of like that music will bring you and draw you into the space, um, especially when it's great music and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to get back to hear, you know, this great music. And the I would open up every show with the prayer. It kind of started out because my name was Prowess the Testament. And when I was growing up, before I was even Prowess the Testament, before I had that moniker growing up, people would call me um, like, preach when I was in high school mm-hmm. or they would call me like you know different different names like that so like oh you're Malcolm X or pre-, because they would always say I was preaching and like lecturing to them and so <laughs> so it would be like they would do the whole joke like been bamboozled been led astray because that was me in high school I was oftentimes like the person that was like oh y'all go find out see why y'all been in here playing there's somebody out there wanting your spot. So you don't need to be, you know, so I was always that person. And I think people just kind of made me and, you know, the caricature of that. So I feel like that I would open up every show with a prayer to be like, one, I want to sort of make this space be a little sacred so that we know it's intentional, like we're here for a certain purpose altogether. And then to sort of acknowledge at the end, I would have people say, you know, look to your, turn to your neighbor and say, amen, as like a greeting. And if you don't, yeah. you know, don't want to say amen, you can say, you know, abracadabra. I don't really care what you say at that point, but greet your neighbor. Know that we're all experiencing one thing at one place in time. We're all in here together. And then I realized this year, it had been a little bit of a, a microcosm of everything that was happening in the world. It's like, well, we are all experiencing the same phenomena everywhere we are in the world, whether you're mm-hmm. in Peru, Rio de Janeiro, or you're in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's the same, you know, exact experience with everything that's happening, you know, just politically and economically, but also, of course, in our, you know, with, with COVID and pandemic. Um, so it really was time, I think, to put the song out. And it was a collection of each verse was something that I had authored from years ago. Like I used to go to an open mic and I would have these, you know, everybody has this like canned verses, you know, that you rehearse a million times. And that verbally, I come into your mind, that verse is like one of the ones I probably used to recite at like 18 or 19. But I realized as doing it, I was like, you know what? I never really thought about putting it on wax. But I think it's time now to like put it down and release it because it is it's, it's that time where we're all experiencing it's almost like having the the room and, it, and I felt like when I'm at a live show and I can control those dynamics and I can sort of make the audience kind of get real small and focus in on what I'm saying and then the music gets really big and you're you're less focused on what I'm saying and sort of what I'm doing um and, and what you're hearing um and those kinds of things so I've, I really wanted to use that as a moment to be like we're on you know as you're listening to this album you know, I want to remind people where they are, you know, kind of being very, I think, aware of the moment. And there, I feel like that's on the dynamics. You can't not listen to it and not be aware of like, I'm listening to what's happening and there's panning and all that kind of stuff in it to help make that song echo even more um, the, the, you know, sort of dynamics of it. So it's it's one of my favorite songs on the album. I definitely feel like it because it was something that, like I said, I used to write, I wrote for decades ago. And the fact that it 
it's now like it, the, the tr tradition of people saying music is timeless, such a obvious kind of statement, because this is something where it's like, it's all old yeah. and yet it's new to some people, but you know, it's certainly classic despite that. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Like that's what grabbed my attention for the most part. Cause like I, you know, I will listen to everybody's projects. I, I'm one of those people like I listened to them first before they got famous. Like I'm like, you know, like that's my whole like dumb hipster joke, but it's like, it's really nice to hear everybody's different projects just to see like where mm -hmm. their origins re are re relying in. And like, obviously like when I'm listening to your music, it's very nostalgic to me and it's very like, it's old school, but also at the same time, it's still with it is like current, right? So um, I want to talk about your style a little bit with the remainder of the album. Like, you know, I want to kind of zero in. I mentioned Boom Bap earlier, which kind of gives that 90s mm -hmm. feel, the authentic instrumentals with the with the bass lines, with the yes. actual authentic drum kit, uh, with yep. the kind of like lo-fi sounds or like the different types of us, uh, like, um, I'm, what's the word I'm looking for but like the key the keyboard sounds and stuff like that so yep yep what what like how did you get into that style like what was kind of like your influences with that I feel like I so that was kind of my sound I feel like reflects like what how I grew up and what I grew up listening to mm -hmm. and so I grew up listening to a lot of like boot camp I grew up listening to a lot of you know a lot of boom bap or mob deep mm -hmm. um De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, like all of those, those kinds of artists. And so, you know, P Pete Rock and CL Smooth, Nas, um, a lot of, a lot of the music I feel like was that influenced me the most was rooted in that. So I feel like it's when I do hear tracks, I do tend to be more attached to those. But what's so interesting is it also is a reflection of sometimes what people see, hear me on and what they send me, because a lot of the, the producers on this album, we're all, um, for the most part, the majority of them are all European producers, okay. um, with the exception okay. of two. So Mark Cooper's in in Detroit, and uh, then, yes, yeah. <laughs> Mark <laughs> and, Cooper, <laughs> yeah. and he was like, Phil, I'll, I'll have to have a whole conversation on that, like how he came to the project because he was kind of the missing piece. Mm -hmm. But and then there's one other uh, U.S.-based producer that is um, Fire Archer, Malik Hunter who actually plays with Black Milk, who's also from Detroit. He plays bass for him. Um, mm. So former Detroit-based artist, but is, you know, from DC. And I, you know, it's interesting that everyone else is a European artist and, or, or, um, and then there's one Canadian um, artist from Ottawa, but the fact everyone else is, you know, Hobgoblin is from the UK and um, Homage is from the UK and um, P-Tech Santiago is from Barcelona by way of Sweden. And then you've got, you know, um, there's also, oh gosh, who else I've got who I've missed? Um, Technologies from Amsterdam. So you've got all these sort of, you know, producers that I feel like their aesthetic is a very European um, sort of hip hop aesthetic right now is sort of this resurgence of boom bap and that they are they are deeply, you know, celebratory of it. Um, so it's, it's not untraditional that I will get a song from like a producer from Belarus or from Poland or something that have very distinct boom bap sounds to it. And I think that was interesting to the nuance of like, that they are sending that music to me as an American artist, um, not recognizing even that it's not as popular, you know, that boom bap is kind of a very niche kind of a thing here. Mm -hmm. It's not as popular as it is there. And then you go to, you know, Warsaw is like, 
hip hop is, you know, or you go to Scotland or something and, and boom bap is like the primary hip hop, you know, that, that is it. How did so you, I, how did you get in touch with these like European Canadian guys? Like were, was it just like a forum or did you actually go to these places and meet up with them? No, like what was no, the case? So I think only person that I've actually physically met was, um, is technology out of Amsterdam. Um, but everyone else, and, and, and that was a relationship that a friend of mine that actually an ex of mine, he was friends with him. He had spent a lot of time in Amsterdam going back and forth and um, had worked in um, worked as a musician there and uh, like managed a band. And so he met him. I don't, I don't even know how he met him, like at a show or something. They exchanged information. They stayed in touch. They worked together on their on his album. And I liked the beat so much. I was like, you know what? I should work with him. And you know, he mm -hmm. sent me a bunch of stuff and like so many people, like they'll send you beats and they're like, oh, I'm gonna send you the beats I think you wanna hear. And I kept saying, but, oh, but there's something else. And so we, we worked on this one song called Heaven Knows that kind of, I mean, for me went viral because at the time, like no one had ever heard of me. I had just come back. I was my first song I recorded after seven years. And like, I got 5,000 views or whatever. It was a pretty, you know, for me to be a nobody, nobody knows what I am. I don't have a footprint. It's like my first song upload, like open a SoundCloud account. It's like one song <laughs> that, you know, and it's like, and I think it is still to this day, like one of my most successful songs. And like, it just went, you know, all over the place. It was people putting it in all their playlists and everything on SoundCloud and YouTube and stuff back in that time. But that's oftentimes how things would happen. And so a person would might find, like you find people on one of the social platforms. And I think initially that sort of, that song was an impetus for other people, European um, hip hop artists to contact me because what wind up happening is that that song got on like a lot of European blogs mm, and a lot okay. of the, um, like charted in, in some of those air in some of those countries. I never released it on um, Spotify. Like I felt like this year I'm actually going to release the whole that the song that that album comes from everything on Spotify this year right, 2020, right. five years later now. But I, at the time, right, I just hadn't even thought about it. And when I later learned, I was like, oh my gosh, I was like trending in like Serbia. I had no idea, right? So it kind of made sense later on why someone in Oslo, Norway or whatever would reach out to me because they saw me on some blog and it was like, oh, who's this person in DC? So oftentimes I think what the initial reaction was. And then, you know, I started working with my friend, like I said, in Canada, and he has a significant following in France and his small record label that he belongs to. Both of the artists, um, him and Squeeb, have a lot of different followers in France. So he would put me on like a lot of the Paris boom bap, you know, um, charts and all that kind of stuff. Somehow those artists would pick up a lot of the songs that we had done together. And that just kind of strengthened, I think, people's initial outreach to me. So I get a lot of packages from people all around the country. It's like, like I said, from Belarus, like, where did you find me? And I've, you know, it's, it's almost undoubtedly always because some other producer that, you know, it's like, oh, I saw your stuff on blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Look so at all those these, are the, yeah. you, you're over here preaching and then you get all these little blessings. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing how you can build those relationships though and, and be online and those, and so, so they're just as authentic, right? Like there's, you know, you go through ebbs and flows and moments and you know, a car accident or whatever, or a parent passes away. Like I've had, you know, different producers have experienced different 
different things. And it's like, we're a family, you know, it's almost like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. But now, you know, you're my friend and I may have never even met you, but I feel connected because we've shared this moment in time, mm-hmm. on, you know, music. We've put our souls on this song together at this right. point. We are, we are definitely bonded by that. So it's, you know, it goes so much further because then you care about the person more so as, as a person than an artist now. It's like, I want to make you proud. You want to make me proud. You want to make this a success. You have an invested interest in my success versus a, you know, producer that might be like, ah, I did a beat for you. You know, I find that like European producers are like, no, I did a beat for you. So I feel like I'm responsible for the success of this song or this album. Like I got to get this in such and such as hands. We got to put this in. Why is this not on the radio? Like I need it on the radio. They are, they are like on top of it. Um, more so than, like I said, you know, I feel like somebody who's like, Oh, it's fine. You know, but there's definitely a different worth ethic for sure in other countries yeah. than it is with here. Like here is definitely super lax. Like there's no yeah. rush. There's a lot of tentativeness. Um, and then yes. like if anybody who's in Europe or anybody I've act because like I've known a couple of Canadians too who just get their stuff done. I'm like, great, this is what I yeah. want to model my life after. <laughs> the music is not a game for them. In other words, it's almost like this is not, yes, it's pleasure, but you don't understand. This is like my life is on mm-hmm. this song. I yeah. need people to hear this. This is important for me. I believe in it. I believe in you. It's so much deeper than like, I just wanted to send you some beats. It's like, I just think you're wonderful, but I believe in you. I want to see you succeed. I don't know why more people haven't heard of you. I want everybody in France here to know who you are. If it's, you know, whatever I can do to make that happen. And there's a whole different level. I yeah. think there's, they have such a deeper respect sometimes for Oh, they you. they do and it's it's music in general over there like every time I've yeah. ever heard anybody go over there for jazz anytime I've ever yep. heard anybody who's a hip-hop artist like uh, a yeah. good friend of mine Rocky Tyrade from Arizona he's gone to Europe oh, a couple yeah. times to do a few tours and he's like yeah. man the respect that I receive in Europe is much different than the respect that they receive here in in the United Absolutely. States like sure yeah. like your local following may be great but like when you go to other places there's always such a weird like tough crowd vibe and that's never been yeah. the case when you travel yeah. over to Europe and this is just from stories that I heard from other musicians you know yeah absolutely um so there's another thing I wanted to touch on with kind of like your aesthetics um <laughs> I yeah. noticed with a lot of your cover art that there is kind of like a tarot inspiration artwork mm-hmm. um so do you want to kind of go into that there's only one other person who is a tarot reader in my life she's actually my co-host for my main show uh, Lady Blurs, uh Lady oh. Blurs Sings the Blues so yes. she loves to do tarot reading so when I saw this I'm like oh I can't wait till Kylie meets her <laughs> you know so oh, we're gonna have so much fun um so, okay so I'll, I'll go into uh, this will be a short description because I want people to stay tuned but I am <laughs> a deep, like I mean when I tell you you know everybody has their nerd things right about like what they you know we all have many nerd things that we we love for me there's occultist things and mythology are just really two things that I feel like I've really gotten myself rooted in. I mean, I, I read books about things just because I, you know, I've, this has always been there. It's so interesting because I didn't think about how the fact that that can even be a little bit 
um, hereditary because my son is the exact same way. <laughs> so I just, and so my son is 10, but he's been like that since he's been three. Like he is always intrigued at like, you know, some, something in the metaphysics and like, just, you know, is really into kaiju and like the mythology around folklore around like Japanese monsters. And for him, that's like everything. And I feel like for me, it's not necessarily for kaiju, but it's like that for other monsters. I mean, I'm just totally into whether it's Greek mythology or Roman mythology or Egyptian mythology, like I'm just totally into Filipino mythology, like all different types of creation stories and um, the the major arcana and sort of the, the, the tarot, I guess, path, the idea of reading, um, you know, people's destinies um, and charting out, you know, using divination and, and all of that has always been intriguing for me. And so one of the things that's always intrigued me about it, I think, is the idea that there has been, you know, the, the cards oftentimes with occult associations, but the fact that you can have balance. So there's a card, you know, one side of the card is one thing, and then you can have, you can flip that card and it's a whole different meaning. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, they, now they've built cards where you have the, the top part of the card is one thing, and then you turn it over and it's something else. And then your, your destiny is kind of hanging in the balance by like the way this card lands, you know, sometimes a card slips out of the deck as someone's reading. And it's like, but that was an intentional card for you. I have to read this. And so anyway, that I think I got intrigued by the fact of like, there's duality. And I, when I knew that this was called Tale of Two Masters, when I kind of had that in the back of my mind, I was like, mm -hmm. I want there to be sort of a, a aesthetic that delivers duality and, you know, balance to, and this juxtaposition of like dark and light. It was in my head of like, I kind of want the music to feel that way, which is also, I think, interesting that there was like a very boom bap centric sound to it because that could have gone anyway. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I could have chosen more rock songs or something like that. And But this was what I was drawn to from the album as I was like putting songs together. I started to notice everything's very similar sounding that I'm picking. So it's just mm -hmm. where I'm at right now. And so I thought about that, like what if I had my own Lord sort of tarot deck and it mm -hmm. was, you know, the prowess deck or whatever, this is how it would look for every song you know, yeah. that there was some iconograph that represented, you know, there's the, the five of cups or the five of swords or whatever those particular pieces are. So mm -hmm. I really wanted it to have that kind of aesthetic and look to it for me. Yeah, because I'm even looking through like the singles that you released and like all yep. of it has kind of like the, like the tarot artwork and it's in theme. I think it's yes. where I can tell where um, you do have like an the idea of like having kind of like the duality like for example in um air human breathe divine like the artwork mm -hmm. there is like a dual dual thing but it doesn't yes. really get into tarot until like i believe until like maybe early february correct yes so, that's exactly yep yeah. and yeah, that so was that's, that's awesome like i love it yeah and in uh, the first artist to actually um draw for me a uh, Celine, uh, Dan Celine, um, who was an incredible non-binary artist. And I say that even, you know, just the fact of like around, again, sort of the, the mind that the creative space that Dan Celine, I mean, just, just surpasses sometimes what I even expect, but the mind that Dan Celine is able to put, like put on things, there is such a lens that they bring to things and they're so 
like they're they're so meticulous about the way that they create things and so the first time that there was like a conversation and I remember having this about like I'm looking for a a tarot card aesthetic that said you know that is going to portray that someone's coming because it's supposed to be something's wicked but it's going to it has to have this impression and you know, I want a fool card, but not really a fool. I want this to be sort of Cam Newton and I want there to be a gun and like a falling off the cliff. Like there, all that interpretation was like these two cards that started it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, damn Celine, another incredible hip hop artist that I'm just, you know, and just artist overall, but um, who's also does a lot of graphic design, but just their ideas and their, you know, input into creating that first sort of look and feel and um design of the of the card the art direction of those two singles was like that I think influenced everything else from there right right no that's yeah I can tell like I it sounds like this person is an amazing artist what was their name again just so that way you can um, damn Celine damn Celine okay no like no kudos yeah. to you Celine and, and, and together I feel like we we have a whole thing we call boob core because you know there you can't nerdcore <laughs> nerd is cool but boob core is the better you know because you, you can't have nerds without boobs you gotta have like it is a thing and you can't have yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'm like a little laid out right now like that's amazing oh yeah so speaking of nerdcore okay after hearing all your music I would have not even insinuated that you would have been in the nerdcore community to be honest the yeah. first time I actually heard you rap was on um and this is how I associated you with nerdcore was on the ghosts and ghouls for the track with Kadesh oh, Flow yeah. or the yes. album with Kadesh Flow and um and uh, Richie Branson and Megaran and then you're on Splatterhouse 2 with uh oh my and so I was like when I heard this I'm like wait Ran got Ran and I I make fun of him for this he knows he he, he's he's not (laughs) purposely leaving women out of his rhymes but like when I heard I'm like he got a woman on the track who is this (laughs) so when I heard you I'm like amazing and then I listened to your music I'm like how'd she get into this nerdcore scene so can you tell me a little bit about that yes so I, I I feel like I I don't even know if I I don't I don't I straddle that line a little bit like I again kind of believe that everybody has their nerdism everybody yeah. has yeah. those those particular pieces that whether that's sports or whether that's you know facts or whether that is you know like I said my son in kaiju like you know he's an encyclopedia of it uh, dinosaurs things like that like everybody has their thing comic books I've always been an avid um, comic book reader okay into comics very much so um, video games you know as a, a, a passive player right I've always had video gaming systems I've never been the type of person that would have ever considered myself like a gamer mm-hmm. but I've you know I feel like it's impossible to be at this age, right? We 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 created the the persona, the archetype of what gaming looks like is influenced by people in my generation. So I'm like the right. that is I guess in a, a a piece of who I am. But I would have never considered myself in that space. And around 2014 um, or 2013, a friend of mine, um, Navi, asked. Uh, we we had a we're in a band together, and he's like, listen, there's this thing called Orlando Nerdfest. I'd never heard of it before. Um, and at that time, Kyle Murdoch was actually recording my album. 
who yeah. is, you know, a collaborator uh, with, with Mega Ran and, you know, has done the Forever Famicom work. But I knew Kyle from his work um, as uh, the hip hop group Panacea, uh, which is one of my favorite groups growing up and really inspired a lot of my friends, um, that album. And so that's how I knew Kyle. And I was, you know, really amped to meet him and have him record my album was like just a pleasure. Air Human, my first project, Air Human Birth, Breath Divine, and Right Where I Left It were both um, recorded by Kyle Murdoch. And getting to Orlando Nerdfest was my first time at a con, I believe. Um, and I, I think at that time, I felt like, you know, you, you, everybody says like, you find your tribe. Right, it wasn't right. about whether or not like, oh, it's nerds or whatever. It was just the fact that it was like, it's people I'm having a good time that I enjoy. I'm meeting people who are just like me. Like everybody's just like me and they're excited to be in the space together and experience this, you know, this moment together and to, you know, it was just fun. And so from there, um, Kay Murdoch would always do MAGFest and invite us, MAGFest, and, um, which we'll get to later, um, having their crazy moment in the sun right now. But in uh, 2015, um, was like coming down, it's held here in the, my backyard in, in suburban Maryland, right outside of DC. And going to that, I think, you know, again, sort of, it, it made me feel like I was part of a community and I wasn't going necessarily put for performing. I'm going just as a, as a lover of like the other music and gaming and going into the game room and yep. enjoying yep. that. Um, so, and then, you know, it's like card games. So I play magic, the gathering. Um, oh, what, what? Shut up. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I, again, <laughs> flabbergasted. I, yeah. my, my boyfriend is used to compete in Magic the Gathering tournaments. I'm still very slow when it comes oh. to playing. I'm, I'm still a beginner, but the fact that I know another person who plays, it makes me so happy. Yeah, <laughs> we, we will have to, like, well, well, when cons happen again, oh my gosh, who knows when that will be? I hope soon. I hope there will be, you know, we will get through this and we will be like at a table somewhere in a hall and we will be, we will be it, watching, having our, you know, having our time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I, like, but that kind of thing was just like, oh my gosh, like there is a space that I can go into and you don't, you know, you're not judged by what you look like. You're not judged, but I was able to, I brought my niece, um, or she's my little cousin, but it's, I call her my niece. Yeah, she's yeah. vastly younger than I am. She's 24, but I would bring her, you know, when she was like 17, 18, cause she was also going through that. She's, you know, super into the things that she's into. And she was just like a scene kid. And it's like, there is no, you know, seeing kids are not in our community in that way. And you're picked on. And it's just something that, you know, yeah. being a scene girl, like you see her hair and it's like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like you before. And she was so excited, right? It's like, oh my God, there's people like me, you know, and there's, there's other people like me who are, you know, being, I feel like, of course, being a black nerd, it's got its own nuance to it as well. Um, and coming from an urban community where that's just, you know, you're not as accepted. So I feel like, my my connection with this space was always around I feel like people who looked like me who I felt like this is a really exciting space to be in and so Orlando Nerdfest was a blast I got a chance to meet a lot of you know I met Mega Ran for the first time there um I met you know Samus for the first time there Shabzilla you know so many I met Richie Branson for the first time there a lot of different people um and then you know just fast forward a lot of the things were like put on hold because then I went back to school and I was like not recording actively 
not doing very much. I was, I thought I could do all of those things and be, be, you know, be an artist, but then it's like, oh my gosh, it's hard enough, like getting through work, going to school, being a mom. I don't know when I'm gonna have a time to record. Right. But, right. It, you know, so anyway, coming back into the space, I feel like I'm just kind of coming back where I've always been anyway, but I just wasn't, you know, I wouldn't call myself a traditional nerdcore artist because I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not MC Lars or like Schaefer, the Dark Lord, or like one of those guys. But I, you know, I feel like I'm attached to a lot of things. I made, you know, music to Marvel too as a project I worked on with some friends because we all love Marvel and we all like love Marvel. We all grew up, we sit around for hours and talk about, you know, storylines and uh, different crossovers and stuff. We would sit around for hours and talk about it. And one day it was like, why do we keep, we keep going through this. Like we should just like put this on an album. And we did music to Marvel too. And I got a chance to play like my most favorite iconic characters growing up. Um, every, well, o Okoye, I got to play Okoye. That wasn't even someone that I really traditionally identified with. And then mm -hmm. you know, Black Panther came out and that was really cool. Um, I got a chance to be, you know, She-Hulk, who was an iconic character. Yeah. My son really loves Hulk. And so the, the rabbit hole goes deep. We have like the encyclopedia of Hulk here, which I don't even know if anybody else has ever read. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything, it gives you all the background on like nuclear physics and, you know, it, it gets deep. It's like everything about A-bomb and, and everything about, and so it's all these things I feel like, you know, I know, like I would joke, like my son would say, General Ross is here to see you, you know, it's like, <laughs> who else is, you know, kid isn't. <laughs> so she, playing She-Hawk was like a dream come true for him. Um, things like that. It was like, oh my gosh, mom, it, he was really into it. He loved that album more than I even did. And I realized, oh my gosh, if I can make art for him, even like this is a special project. And so my friend, um, Edward, as is put that together and it was brilliant. And I loved the way he put the beats together and everything. And it was like, we have to do this again because I don't know how often you hear people sort of without doing like book report rap, just having really fun embodying the character, like yeah. me being Domino. And I just get to like, act like I'm Domino, everything yeah. is sort of, but I don't have to tell her story. Like if you don't know her story, go watch or go read and then come back and listen to the song. And you'll be like, oh, okay. I get why you were embodying it that way. Like that's who Domino is. It's like, yeah, I'm lucky. And I got hands, you know, I can shoot <laughs> these. <laughs> I got weapons of at all kinds. So those kinds of things, I feel like the themes, right. I, you know, the inner nerd in all of us is just sort of is there. Yeah, and on that point, like that's why I love listening to different ciphers. Um, right now, like yeah. my my whole fix is listening to a lot of the Dragon Ball Z ciphers because yeah. I absolutely love like the lineup of people who are just embodying the characters of of like of the characters I grew up watching. You know, I was big. Right. I was I was kind of like the tsunami kid growing up. So now, like yeah. you know, fast forward <laughs> and hearing all these like ciphers of all these care of all these rappers embodying these characters, I get super excited. I'm like, yes. Yes, like, um, exactly. So it makes me really That's happy. Cool. It's like, you know, you get a chance to connect with that. And, um, you know, I grew up, Asheru is a, a rapper here from DC who, you know, most people know for making the theme song for, um, for Boondocks. Mm -hmm. And hearing, you know, I think something like that, just hearing him in the space and Substantial, who's also from here, 
who is, you know, did a lot of work with Anujabes and just, it, it's sort of like the foundations for me have always been like, wow, I hadn't even thought about like my city's connection to Nerdcore in that way. Like, well, that's very sort of, you know, origins or connected to it, but I didn't think of it that way. And I'm like, now it kind of makes me feel like it's almost like an obligation to keep that kind of, um, you know, to keep that going because I feel like, yeah, it's just one thing. I feel like you don't always get acknowledged of being when you're from an urban community and you look like us, it's like, oh, well, you can't be a nerd. You know, <laughs> you're, you're anything but that you're like a cool kid. You're not, you know, and it's like, well, but you can't nerd being a nerd is being who you are. And yeah. that is just real, you know, whatever you are into, um, you should be able to wear that on your sleeve. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I am absolutely like, you know, first of all, I'm so glad that you, you've trickled into like the nerdcore world. Cause I, I trickled into it late too. Like I, I, not as like an artist per se, but more so yeah. someone who wants to be more on like the press side of things. And, yeah. um, and I, I've discovered nerdcore by just going to, um, like on the West coast, there's Fanime and then yeah. on, there's also Mag West, which is the sister yeah. festival yeah. to MagFest. And yeah. I attended those things because yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I attended those things because I was like, oh, anime, sure. And like at first when I, my first time going to those things, I was 17. So I was just running around being a little shit, but, yeah. <laughs> but like growing into it, I'm like, wait, this is a space that I feel like I m most belong into. Like, yeah, sure. There might be some awkward folks here and not so awkward folks here. There's people who are yeah. dressed in their cosplays and like as minimal clothing as possible or all the clothing. Like, I feel like this is such a fun space and this is something I look forward to every year. Meanwhile, in between those times of the year, like, you know, there's regular work where like sometimes your nerdisms are not actually, actually welcomed in those spaces or growing up in high school, I got, you know, my sad story is like the popular kids threw ranch at me because I was like into anime and hung out with the anime group. Um, so it was, yeah. So it's, it's hard. like, hard. yeah. Yeah, so it's just like one of those things like, oh man, I don't know if I should really go into this. And then like last but not least, but when I was in college studying music, gaming music wasn't really something that was a thing until maybe my last year. And that's when I, I actually went to college with majority of the Super Soul Bros, like the instrumentals. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. um, and then when I heard that they were performing and I saw their things, I lost my shit because I'm like, wow, I didn't know that you guys were into video games. They're like, we didn't know that you're into video games. And exactly. we're like, we're all in this pent up, like studying Richard Wagner and all this bullshit, but you didn't tell me that you're into Mario party. God damn it. <laughs> you know what? It's the, it's interesting. Cause, um, you know, I riot games at my day job is I work in diversity and inclusion and mm -hmm. Riot Games, when they had the lawsuit against them for um, for gender discrimination in the workplace was uh -huh. one of the most, I think, most, most interesting and fascinating things I had ever experienced is like in this space as an adult now. And I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, like does Riot Games recognize how many women gamers there are how many people are like streaming their games, playing them and you're, you know, how many people play LOL and just like, there's, there's a significant population that are streaming your games every day. Like, do you even know? And you're like committing these, these grotesqueries in the workplace because your back end, you know, culture is not conducive with your front end culture, with the people sort of that are playing, you know, the, 
Oh, you're so polite. We all know it was just a huge boys club. It was a yeah, huge exactly. nasty fart party. Like that's all that yeah. that was with a lot of ignorant and there you um, jokes, <laughs> things that were just flying out the mouth. Like, you know, this yeah. person's gay. This is stupid. Yeah. You're like throwing an F-bomb. Like it was just, it, because it, it was like that at like, I've heard workplaces such as Sony as well. That was like that with their game testers and all that yeah. stuff. So, and then having women involved just made it even worse. And there right. are gaming conventions that do have a history of like, you know, sexual assault and all that stuff to women mm -hmm. who are trying to have a good time because yes. of the fact that men are like, no, this is our space. We're the nerds because nerd was a kind of like a masculine label. Exactly. And, and it reminds me, I mean, there's, when I, when I got to that aspect, that's exactly where it put my mind that like nerd is become synonymous or at one point in time becomes synonymous with man and like MC has become synonymous with man so much so that my otherness has to be refined by you know which I which I hate now when there's this master blanket statement is on every Twitter every day you go on Twitter is somebody posting it up anybody know any female MCs you know oh just, my god it's so, it's so random it's so inappropriate it's so ridiculous you know I I saw shout out to Shubzilla because she was like is there like a thing you know people allergic to saying women I'm not understanding and then you know if, if this is just your first interaction then you probably don't want to do a blanket statement. Like there's so many other ways. Like, why don't you try listening to some artists first? Why don't you try finding some artists first? Why don't you even think about what voices you want to have on the project? If you just, if your biology is like the only condition that makes you a suitable, you know, collaborator is the weirdest thing ever. Like I've never, ever heard anybody say, I'm looking for a few male MCs. Does anybody know any? You, I need some. <laughs> male MCs who are, you know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> and they, mind you, nerds. The caveat is that I need male nerd MCs. And people will probably look at me like I've got two heads. Like what, girl, That that's everybody. Like, and, and the idea until we get to like where nerd is synonymous with some guy, you know, or you MC is synonymous with some guy. We have to get past that idea at this point. And like, there's so many, Shout out to so many like trans rappers that are changing the dichotomy that are wrapping circles around people because now you're changing, you're really forcing people to be like, I can't actually use a description with you. I don't know what to call you. It's like, you can just call me a rapper. Like that's, that is it. You just call me an MC. That is it. And it's just, you know, love to like moody black, like changing, like rapping, just, just destroying people. Like, you, you know, just unfathomable shit on 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 just performances crushing shit and like people don't know how to describe that because it's like hold on now you've broken my box of things i don't have a category for you i've got a female mc a male what is this you know and it's like mm -hmm. it's just it's ridiculous so i hope that more people are like shattering that out to just be like no more nerd is no longer a, a boys club it's it's exactly. you know we're not going to be othered anymore yeah, it's no longer a boys club. It's no longer, I hate this girl because she thinks she can fit in with the boys club. It's no longer any of that. It's just like, we're done. We're done with this. Like, you yeah. know, in order for nerd culture to exist, you have to have all genders, not just the binary ones. Like it, it's a exactly. whole thing. It's a whole space. And even like in comic books, there's even like heroes that are even just like non-binary and we just forget about that. We forget about it because it gets 
written out of the lexicon when you're when it's told by cisgender males in the space when it's like oh i just i ignored that that part yeah i thought that character was cool but i'm not going to cite them in the public space instead i'll talk about you know what how i'll edit it the way i want it to be edited and so i'm kind of glad that those these things are kind of it's going to take a lot more work but there's just that we're there's now a challenge around like what do you consider to be NMC no longer should have to be like putting a pref a prefix in yeah. front of it anymore. Anymore. No, I absolutely agree. Like this whole female thing, like every time if I catch one of my boys saying something like that, I will I will DM them on the low being like, you knock that shit off. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm straight up like, hey man, like you were on my show, you do not do that. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> so insulting and it's almost disgusting and i've seen you know lexa lexicon try to she she has a beautiful statement about it i about what that means like i'm not a female mc or female rapper what now, i lexa, am lexa is i think non-binary as well yeah yeah, yeah. so um, oh, sorry go on please no no but just just the idea around trying to help people get that narrative right and yet people still are like, yeah, I saw this post, but I don't really understand what that means. What is so insulting? And they just will do it over and over again. It's almost like this repeat serial offense that just like, I refuse to correct myself. So I'm like, I, you know, I don't believe that anybody's beyond help. And I feel so bad because sometimes I've seen some of these people and they have kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, get this right <laughs> before you you know, really damage some kid's life because you're teaching them this, like, please get it right. Maybe you'll hear it. Maybe if it takes five, six more times, I don't care. Yeah. Let's try to educate them on like, you can't be out here throwing out, I need female MCs ASAP. You know, it's like, no, no. No, we're not, <laughs> female MCs are <laughs> women who rap, those who identify as feminine who rap, they're not a checkbox to, to get exactly. onto your album. If it's not a novelty, right. like yes, it's, it's past that point now. Like at one point, it was considerate just because of the fact of like how un under promoted women were, especially yeah. like in the beginnings of hip hop. Like, and it's the same thing with the beginning as a, of jazz too. Like women were just so under promoted. Like you don't know a lot of women. Like if you can probably name like oh, Queen Latifah, the brat. Uh, and then that's where people kind of stop, right? I even stop right there because sometimes I'm like, I know there's more, like, oh, Left Eye Lopez, like, you, you, but we forget because it's just they're so often like over or under sexualized, and then they're also just a check mark, like a novelty mark. And now it's 2021, it, we're, women are more than that. Like, if you want someone on their track, you get to know them, go get to know them. Like, right. find out what voice you want. Like, it can't just be this statement, like. You know, again, it's that idea around like if I was looking for a male MC, people would be like, "Well, wait a second, like who? Like, give me more. Like, what? What kind? From where? You know, what kind of style? What kind? You know, is there a particular you know voice type that you're looking for? Like all these these things that people would give me parameters to be like, you can't just be out here saying you look for all males or you know, it's like, well, wait a second, how's that possible that you can have that mindset to believe that? that I have to add these delimiters to it when I'm looking, you know, I'm going to do that as an experiment one day. I'm going to be like, has anyone ever heard anyone, you know, ask, are there any male MCs in here? You should just throw it out on Twitter. Just cause a problem. You're like, I'm looking for some male MCs. Can someone hit me up? And then like anybody who hits you up, you're like, oh baby, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry I was looking for the male MCs, not 
I'm sorry. Is there is there any? You know, yeah, that's funny. You you don't fit the bill. I don't know. How do I know that you're a male MC? Where? Let me hear you first. You know. Right. All right, girl. Uh, we are getting to the actual the closing notes of this podcast. Um, yes. I if you can let the listeners know, how can they find you? Yes. So I am on all social platforms at my name is Prowess. P R O W E S S. The Testament is what I go by, Prowess the Testament. So you can find me on all of the socials and Spotify's and all of the streaming platforms. Um, and yeah, my band camp is, um, you know, prowessthetestament.bandcamp.com. You can find me there. My album, Until for Two Masters, is exclusively there for now for this week. And then next week it will be um, streaming as well. So you'll find it on those platforms. But definitely please come check me out on any particular platform. I'm always looking to engage. Like I have fun on try to, even if I'm just talking to myself sometimes, <laughs> I just have, you gotta have some fun. And I still have to do my wedding wrap, my wedding gown wrap on Twitter. Yes. So, Wait, is it gonna be over Truth Hurts? Is it gonna be over Truth Hurts? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's stay tuned because I'm gonna be like, you never know. I'm I'm trying to plan a surprise because I was like, if I do it right now, everybody's kind of gonna, you know, I need to get the people who missed it and be like, look, y'all missed it. You should have been tuning in every day. So <laughs> that's amazing. Oh my gosh, yeah, I almost forgot about that. You campaigned that, and I was straight up like, oh, are you gonna do it over Truth Hurts? Please, yes. please, let's have a Lizzo bop in here. Let's do yes. it. <laughs> Lizzo, love Lizzo um I love her revolution I love the fact that like she's like my revolution is just being human and like saying what the fuck I say and mean what I say it isn't my size it isn't my my race it isn't my gender none of those things is my revolution my revolution is just doing what the fuck I want to do every day and I just love that I love that she's just and that is the most revolutionary thing ever being true to yourself being authentic to yourself being who you are every day of the week that is that's real. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, yeah, she definitely came into a lot of our lives at the right point to really reinforce yeah. that message. Yeah, well, absolutely. Thank you, Prowess, like for being here. Like, I am so like, I know we were kind of talking back and forth before like getting to this interview like a couple months beforehand, but I'm really excited. As a heads up for those who are listening, I'm going to bring her back to the main show. Uh, where she's going to be discussing politics, um, you know, just body, body positivity, just all the nice stuff. So like, I won't get put too much into it, but we'll keep it a little bit of a surprise, but she will be a guest with us on Lady Blurred Sings the Blues at the end of the month. Uh, but other than that, thank you so much for listening to Don't Cast and Drive. You can find this interview on Don't Cast and Drive on SoundCloud. Please follow Don't Cast and Drive on other pages on Facebook and as well as the sister podcast page, Lady Blurred Sings the Blues on Instagram. I hope you guys have a wonderful night and have a good week. 